Good morning, or evening. I assume that you're listening to this podcast in one-to-one time. But either way, welcome back to Cleric Swear Ring Mail. about today. Well, from the previous episode talking about house rules and why I do them, there was a lot of interest, uh, a lot of interest in particular from Jason of Nerds Variety RPG Cast. So, what I figured I could do, I patched those together, I got some responses, he's got some interesting takes and perspectives, and I'm pushing that out there today to continue the talk about house rules in your games and whether you should use them or not. Uh, And On top of that, I had another recording that was just kind of hanging out in the Anchor library where I talked a little bit about where we are and where I hope to go this year with the project. That being a bit of a shorter bit, I figure I'll toss that right on up front, go over the where we are, where we want to be, and then we'll dive right on into the calls regarding house rules. First up, I'll give you guys a quick update on me and where I am. Uh, new baby, he has his two-month doctor appointment next week. Uh, that is next week from the time of recording. Or two weeks ago from the time of episode. And it's amazing how fast the time has gone by. No shit. Uh, I was very fortunate in that I was able to take some leave from work, like I had kind of insinuated in previous podcasts. Uh, That leave has officially expired, and I am back in the saddle again. Now, you may be wondering, why, Taylor, if you're going back to work, are you being more optimistic than you were before? Well, truth be told, the time I took off from work was hard. (laughs) It was rough. Uh, The little guy, um, when we brought the twins home the first time around, they had spent some time in the NICU, and the NICU nurses had put them onto a schedule. They wanted to eat every three hours. And remembering that, and remembering how that made my life easier to keep everything on a pattern, I talked to my wife, we need to get this little guy on a schedule. Uh, But my wife, being anathema to patterns or order, uh, she did not uh, agree. And so I would spend most of the day hanging out with our twins, and then she would spend most of the day letting the new baby guide her activities. So he's almost, at this point, he's almost on a swing shift. So he'll, he'll feed, and then uh, two hours, two hours, three hours, three hours, four hours, three hours, two hours, two hours. And so there's no sense of order. There's no sense of pattern to what he does. And there's really nothing I can do about it. Uh, I'm, I'm just chugging along. And at this point, I'm very grateful for my uncle and for my grandmother who have been coming along to try to help us uh, get through all of this stuff. But I tell you that to tell you this, during the time I took off, 
I did nothing for gaming. I had a couple podcast episodes come out, and I think you guys were able to pick up that the twins in the background were doing their best to try to prevent that from happening. Uh, I was able to watch a couple actual plays. I've got a review queued up for the blog in the next couple weeks. That review would be my review of 3D6 Down the Line, romping through Dolmanwood, my Easter post for the 16th. An AP who actually found me on Twitter after I posted it. <laughs> that was fun. So hopefully I remember between now and then to add their Twitter handle to the review. But apart from that, I spent 18 hours a day taking care of my kids. It makes you wonder. I mean, it's people talk about couples these days are having fewer children. I can only imagine it's got to have it's got to have changed because my my mother had three of us my wife she's one of six so there's something that's different these days than it was uh when i was born but we're not going to worry about that too much because you guys don't care about that you care about the game talking about where i am in gaming life I'm back in the saddle, in a sense, on the blog. I've got a post queued up for next week. I'm working on the one for that. I like to try to run two weeks in advance uh, in case something comes up. And on the side, I've been working on a West Marches style campaign. I've got a hex map that I had put together. It's got uh, five or six locations. It's not a big hex map. It's a one mile scale, but it's only about 18 miles across. So if I've got a decent party, that'll last them maybe a handful of sessions. Now, initially, I had put this map together to support playtest of weapons, wits, and wizardry. But then talking to Daniel a little bit, uh, per what he was saying at the top of the show, or last show, I'm going to stop doing this. You guys understand this was recorded in the past. Why not start where I'm comfortable, work from OD&D and work my way into my own heartbreaker? Uh, so I kind of geared up for that. I've got a couple dungeons that I'm working on there, but humorously, as soon as I made that decision, I actually had a couple of you guys in uh, social media land reach out and ask me about Weapons, Wits, and Wizardry and how I was doing. And so that's that's heartening. That's really cool. I'm very grateful and very flattered that you guys are supporting me like that. I'm very excited that there are folks out there who are interested in the same kind of stuff I am. So now I'm in a weird place. Uh, do I move forward with uh, Attack Plan Daniel or do I go with my original Alpha? Uh, the world may never know. The world will know, probably next month. Would have been this month, but then we spent entirely too much money on Easter. That's a lie. Uh, I'm looking into Foundry uh, as my VTT. Port forwarding is a pain in the butt. I learned that playing off of MapTool years and years ago. I found out Foundry has a the Foundry Forge, which it states that it's a paid service, but it eliminates that, so essentially you can run Foundry online with a web URL uh, compared to, yeah, guys, hit this IP address. So I'm probably going to look into that. In the meantime, I'm going to try flesh, I'm going to finish fleshing out those dungeons, and depending on how long it takes me, will determine the attack plan we approach. That's the beauty of 
the OSR. Because the Weapons, Wits, and Wizardry game is compatible with OSR games, that means I can make dungeons for it, and then when I am ready, uh, when I've got the initial island populated like I want it, I can just run whatever I want. I could run it in OSE if I wanted to. Uh, it, that's the beauty of the intercompatibility. So that's where I am now. I've got two locations mapped. I've got uh, three left that I want to detail before I start up. And then I've got the learning curve to figure out the VTT. And once, we, uh, once I feel comfortable there, I'll probably spin up a Discord server a couple folks I've talked to about it already. Uh, you you guys know who you are, and when I spin that up, you will get the early access. And who knows, maybe I will use you as my guinea pigs to... Uh, oh, I mean, uh, you can be the first party uh, onto the island. But either way, stay tuned. Because now that I'm back at work, and I'm not worried so much about the baby stuff, hopefully CWR is back in business. Here we are. We have gotten our update done, and we can move into the call-in section and pseudo-main topic of the show. Uh, first up, I would like to thank my two callers. Randy, thank you for calling in. Jason, thank you for calling in. Uh, Randy technically did call a little later, but Jason was very prolific. So, taking what Jason was talking about, uh, house rules, and where we would go with them, I'm going to do Randy first, and then move into the more prolific house rule conversation. Take it away, Randy. Taylor, this is Randy from Biggest Geekus. Long time, no chatting. Um, boy, I think your house rules episode was spot on. I think people that have, you know, some limited um, expendable cash, it's better to just pick a system you like and adjust it. I think uh, there's more than just old school. I think a lot of the D20 systems are good for that if you're more of a third edition guy, which I used to lean toward. I don't know where I'm at right now, kind of taking a hiatus from DMing. But uh, if you have the money, I think buying those different systems is cool. Now, forcing your players to have to buy it, that's tricky business. So, you know, I don't do that. I'm a pretty big fan of Savage Worlds. Um, I tend to spend more money than I probably should, but my kids are out of the home. So, yeah, I'm, I agree with you. I think you've uh, got it figured out. Focus on what you like, whether it's Chainmail BX, and modify it at will. Take care, bud. Thank you for the call in, my man. And I'm glad it resonated with you. Yeah. I understand taking a hiatus. Sometimes, uh, sometimes you need to play for a bit, or sometimes you need to, you know, take a breather and uh, consume some media, figure out where you want to go. But all I can tell you, if Joe starts running a game, you got to play a wizard and you got to start making a staff. Good to hear from you, man. It's always fun to hear your voice. See you next episode on Biggest Geekus. Hey, Taylor, just listen to your newest podcast. You mentioned the fantasy trip and talk about a clone. Of course, you don't need to find a clone because Steve Jackson Games has rights to the fantasy trip again, and you can buy the actual game, which is what I would highly recommend you do. There are some clones out there, by the way, but if you can get a hold of the original, why play with the clone? Which is the same thing with you know all these other retro clones and all. There's not a need for them anymore. There you go. I just gave you a topic. Ha, 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 ha. But seriously, buy the original. So the key word in the uh, free clone that I was looking for was free. 
them. Buy, buy is the problem. <laughs> so I will, I will consider it. I don't want to yo ho ho it. I love Steve Jackson. Uh, always have. He's he's been the perennial underdog, putting out stuff that uh, was in competition to the mainstream, more mainstream D and D, or at at one point Pathfinder. So. I encourage folks, likewise, if they're interested, to support Steve Jackson in that regard. Now, the next thing, the next thing, it's uh, interesting. <clears throat> you mentioned why use a clone, and that kind of ties in to the history of the OSR as a movement. Now, there's a great article on this, a series of articles by a fellow, by a fellow I know from the internet uh, where he talks about the origins of the OSR as a movement and where it's gone. And uh, that includes the uh, birth of the retro clone as a genre. So the first generation of the ret clones, I'm not going to go through the whole thing. I will link to these articles so you can read them at your leisure. The first generation of retro clones, the purpose was to provide a publishing avenue. It's a way to get a handle on producing material for games that are out of print to get it's a legal loophole. I want to make AD&D adventures, but AD&D has been discontinued by the IP owner, so I'm just going to claim it's for Osric. Uh, then it kind of moved on from there when uh, there's a bit of surprise, as I understand it, that people wanted to play Osric. It's like, hey, can we get this in print? And so that's when uh, they updated Osric to be a little more user-friendly. That's when Swords and Wizardry came out, Iron Falcon came out, uh, all that fun stuff. Although, technically, Iron Falcon, in an interview recently, uh, at least once, uh, Chris Gonerman has said he wrote Iron Falcon in spite because uh, BFRPG was not considered a retro clone. It was too distinct from its source material. But that's not the point. The point is that uh, that constitutes the next wave of uh, retro clones. So why did retro clones exist? First, as a publishing mechanism, and second, for a way to get your hands on rule sets that are out of print. Next, why do we need retro clones anymore. While this could in and of itself make an entire episode, like you mentioned, a full topic, um, at, a, at a top level, it kind of boils down to the next generation of retro clones. You had the uh, Lamentations of the Flame Princess, you had Labyrinth Lord, uh, well, an Advanced Labyrinth Lord more specifically. What those clones did, they introduced creativity they introduced changes to the game. That's where the R started to be renaissance. While maintaining compatibility, you can run Keep on the Borderlands using Lamentations of the Flame Princess. They changed bits and pieces of the system to better suit the home table that was being run by the publisher. And there are people out there who enjoy the tone, who enjoy the genre. Uh, Lamentations kind of really took its own, and I'm going to harp on them because they're still around, but they took their own path and they fit a certain genre, and there's still a crowd that really enjoys it. You could say the same thing with uh, Adventure Conqueror, Conqueror King. While Adventure Conqueror King was never as big as, say, Old School Essentials has gotten, 
Adventure Conqueror King offers an experience that people like and they have a core fan base around that experience. Can you create that experience using the original Beckme set, which as I understand it was the root of Adventure Con Conqueror King? Yes, you can, but Macris has done it for you in Axe. Can you use BX to create a Lamentations experience? Yes, but Raggy has done it for you. And I don't know if this was a, a very clever trick on your part, Jason, because this ties back directly to the subject material of the episode, which was why house rule, when uh, I said that I don't want to buy a game because how much do I actually want to change? That's true. I'm more likely to change BX. I'm more likely to change my rule cyclopedia uh, for the examples before. But there are people out there who prefer to run rules raw. And for those people, the retro clones offer the second generation retro clones, that is, offer a distinct experience to the original product. Do the Steve Jackson retro clones offer a different experience to the originals? I don't know. I haven't played them. I haven't investigated them. That's a good question for someone who is a TFT enthusiast. But I know for a fact that Hyperborea runs different than Axe, Axe runs different from Lamentations, and Lamentations runs different from Dolmenwood. So what's the point of Retro Clones these days to get into the vibe that those Retro Clones offer? As far as Pendragon goes, yeah, I maybe I'll check it out. We'll see. I, I did just drop $195 to pick up a copy of the Great Pendragon Campaign for 5.1 edition. So maybe I'll give it a shot. I'll probably give it a shot. When I'm talking about fake saints or, or fake portrayals, I guess I'm talking about things like, and I realize this isn't a, a saint, but you, you're talking about things like The Island, the 2006 Eastern Orthodox film about a, a monk, or even, now we're going to get away from the religious aspect for a second, but even things like Mel Gibson's The Patriot, because Mel Gibson's The Patriot is very roughly based on Francis Mary and the Swamp Fox. And I personally would rather have seen, about, uh, seen a film about Francis Marion than a made-up character, but that's just me. I could see it. That is trying it out. I mean, if you have the books already, you're not losing anything. And if you read it and don't like it, there's always the secondary market. Or Mel Gibson's William Wallace, which, as I've been told by our Scottish friends, is only loosely based on real-life William Wallace. I will admit... I have not seen The Patriot, I can, but I can understand why a, uh, a big Hollywood production would uh, embellish, I guess, on the details. On the subject of big A-list blockbuster films, I have not seen The Island. I'll have to look that up. Either way, if you do try out uh, Pendragon, let us know how it goes. As far as your fruit tree goes, I do recommend you check with Colin Green over at Spike Pit. He has a green thumb, and <laughs> funny enough how that works, and he um, can probably help you with that. So I'd recommend you check with him. As far as Pendragon goes, you know, they have a new edition coming out that's going to start with a starter set. They're going it the same route they did with RuneQuest, or RuneQuest Grant, or whatever they're calling it now. So the starter set may be worth picking up just to check out and see what else you can do with it. 
Um, I, I know they're moving away to some degree from some of the Christian things in there. So it may, may be easier to play. I don't know. Um, we'll, we'll see when that comes out. I know a lot of people are going to buy it. There's a lot of buzz about it. So it may be worth watching some reviews when that comes out. But that Pendragon starter set might be a good entry point, if only to get the mechanics to borrow them for your elf games. That is good information to have. I will have to call in to Colin Green Thumb Spike Pits podcast with some advice on my grapefruit trees. Talking about Pendragon, Dirk the Dice over at the Groganard Files. I uh, will drop a link in the show notes. Actually, did an interview with the line editor who's working on that Pendragon starter set. So, viewers, listeners, etc., if you were interested in the Pendragon stuff we've been talking about for the past couple days uh, or past couple episodes, head over to that link because they give a super deep dive on the passions system, a super in-depth conversation about the design goals of the previous line editor who had passed and the current line editor who is working on the product in question. As far as DCC and DICE go, they're, you know, you know, in the front of the book, that not only you have the crawler app, but in the front of the book, they tell you how to use your regular dice to get the DCC results if you don't have the fancy dice. So you can very definitely play DCC with physical dice without the fancy dice. It, it's really simple. Unlike, say, Genesis or Star Wars, Fantasy Flight Star Wars, that you, know, you, you pretty much need the specialized dice. With DCC, you can use your standard dice and still play the game with physical dice. You just have to do a little bit of a math here or there. To, to get it, but it works just fine. True. And didn't HeroQuest do the same thing? Because they had the uh, the blue and the red, and there was like it was a equivalent to uh, a five plus or a, a six plus, and they just told you if you didn't have the dice to do it that way. the The dice themselves aren't necessarily the expensive part, but it's it was more books, I guess, is where I was going. So. If I'm going to delve into 100 RPGs, if they average a dollar a piece, that's still 100 bucks. And the Pendragon starter set that I think you mentioned, or the grand campaign for 5.1, that was a lot more than one dollar. Uh, but yeah, anyway, the point the point is the costs can go up, but as you point out, there are ways around it. Coincidentally, there are ways around the uh, rules differences too. It's called house rolling. Ha Interestingly enough, in the conclusion there, you talk about your house rolling games that you're really familiar with and you played a lot, run a lot. That's not always true. I come across all the time people that pick up a new system are like, oh, I'm going to change this or I'm going to change that. Or, well, I'm going to run this system, but I'm automatically going to add shields or sundered to it or this or that. So it's not always the fact that people run it, rules as written, prior to deciding to chop it up into bits. Yep. It's honestly quite more common that people will chop up the rules and change them around before they play at all. Uh, and that's something that I discourage at the end of the podcast. And you know that uh, you call in on your next call in and mention that you heard me agreeing with you there. It's important to understand the rules before you change them. And uh, I only interrupt to mention uh, a couple years ago at my workplace there was a 5e explosion. A whole bunch of people got into 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons all at the same time, and come to find out, a handful of them were 3rd uh, edition 
uh, veterans. So I mentioned, well, it's it's a totally different game with the, the death saves, and they said, oh, no, we don't use those. We're doing it de- de- death at minus 10. And, and then they, they describe certain elements of the campaign, but the death at minus 10 in particular, and I will be the first to admit, I did not play a lot of 5e. I played three sessions. I ran Fandelver, uh, but I didn't even make it until all three core books had come out before I realized that the, book, the game was not for me. The damage output. People talk about the hit points being bloated, but really the damage output is so much higher that um, the damage output being so much higher, it seems like the death save is a safer (laughs) mechanism than the uh, the minus 10. Minus 10 comes a lot, lot faster in 5e if you're you're counting negatives. So that's something they learned, but uh, I did not until I thought about it just now. Ah, I see. I called too soon. You do clarify people should try it. Rules is written first, which I totally agree with. So as far as house rules go, I, I know I've got a reputation for being anti-house rules and being a, a gatekeeper as in you're wrong if you're not playing rules as written, but that's really not true. I, I do like to defend systems when they're misrepresented or misunderstood rules is written, but I house rule the games I play, and I've got a couple house rules I apply to Cyberpunk 2020, for example, when I run that, and there are other things I, you know, I'll do here and there, so I'm not against house rules. I think what I'm more against are house rules where you end up with pages of house rules. I've joined games from people that I play with that are good GMs where they'll hand you two, three pages of house rules, you you know, for a system where you're running a one-shot. And it's kind of crazy. Yeah, I don't get house ruling a one shot or really house ruling a con either. For the for the one shot, the purpose of the one shot should isn't that usually to learn the system or to showcase something about the system. So if you house rule it, that just defeats the purpose. And at the con, you're you're playing with people you're never going to see again. So sure, the house rule may change something that you like or you prefer, but people are going to come in with certain expectations and eh, I don't know if you're not playing the same game then the expectations are worthless you know and and it's fine if that's the game that you and the group want to play I think the other issue I have with house rules is often and this is a discussion I've had with Rob over down the heap but often house rules are put in place be only for the GM, and they're only there because the GM perceives an issue that the players don't perceive in it is an issue, and the players have no say in them, which that can be an argument separately whether the players should have a say in house rules or not. But my experience typically has been the GM handing a sheet of house rules saying, these are the rules for my game, not a cooperative experience where it's discussed between the GM and the players, hey, what if we change this and this? Now, I have played with GMs that have done that cooperative experience. Arlen Walker is a prime example of that, where when we were setting up an aborted Savage Worlds pulp game, we discussed potential house rules ahead of time as a group, as opposed to him doing dictating what they would be. You're making me think back to my uh, college homebrew between when I dropped off the boat from uh, Watsi and before I got onto the boat of the, S- the OSR. We started hacking away and making, I say, and I, I said, just said we. So I started hacking away, but then my players gave me a bunch of feedback. And 
Uh, then we changed this, we played it away, and then we changed it a little bit uh, based on that feedback and suggestions, and then we changed it a little bit more, and then uh, my buddy ran it, yeah, ran that system in his own world, and I was not DMing at all. He changed the rules, and then I updated the master document. That was a lot of fun. I really wish I hadn't lost that rule set in, uh, in a hard drive crash, but that was a lot of fun, and it was a real collaborative setting, a real, not a setting, a real collaborative experience and created something that was ours, not something that was mine. And so that's, that's definitely the collaboration approach. Though, on the other hand, uh, I also understand why a ref may hand some house rolls out, because I've done that before as it pertains to setting. So you look at Dark Sun. That's not really a house rules, that's a setting that's released by TSR. But the point is, they wanted to frame psionics as a really big thing in the world, and so they set up the defiler preserver deal and kind of limited how magic worked. And while that is definitely a change to the system, and it was essentially non-negotiable if you were playing in the setting, the purpose of it was intentional. The purpose of it was to highlight a specific element of the setting and to create that sort of atmosphere. And so I, I can see it both ways, and I've, I've lived it both ways, and I, I hear where you're coming from on there. I have said, as long as I can remember, and you can go back in my podcast, you know, hundreds of episodes and, and calls years ago to other podcasts, and you'll hear me say, as long as you and your group are happy with it, you're playing the right game. So I'm not against house rules at that point. I, I guess where I get I mean, it doesn't matter. As long as you guys are happy with what you're doing, it's cool. It's not my place to be the RPG police. But for me, with house rules, once you get to the point where you're substantially changing the game, not adding an elf to Hyperborea, or not saying that, you know, dwarves in your BX game can smell gold, but when when you're adding pages and pages and pages of rules, or you're changing substantial mechanics of the game it may be easier to go to a different game. I'm not saying you're wrong to house rule your game, and there are reasons not to switch systems like you've outlined, but there's probably a game out there that does what you're looking to do. And if nothing else, it might be worth looking at that game to see the an easier way to put it in your game, because if somebody's already done the work, why reinvent the wheel? I would definitely agree with that. Uh, what, there's definitely a line that once you cross it, you're no longer playing the same game. And while, like you, I lack the resources to kick people's doors down and burn their books for playing the game wrong, but it uh, you lose the common vernacular. So if I am playing D&D and I don't specify that I'm thinking about first edition or I don't specify that I'm thinking about original edition, then someone who comes in with only 4th edition, we're, we're not going to be talking the same language. We're not going to be using the same baseline. We're not going to be able to communicate until that gets clarified. And, in the same sense, if I say I'm playing D&D, but I've replaced hit points, I've instigated a skill system, I've removed the classes, I've changed out the monsters, and there are no elves, I'm not playing D&D anymore somebody who's expecting D&D might not be able to follow along. We are blessed. We're in the golden age of RPGs, and I, I would never suggest, you know, piracy or, you know, 
getting gray market PDFs or any of that, but more and more is available legally on the internet. I agree with that too. We are doubtless in the golden age of the RPG. And more more is out there, whether they're retro clones, whether you go and, and, you know, reviews of games and discussions of games. And so it's easier and easier to find these other games and information on them. And yes, that takes time. And it takes time to research all that. And time is a precious commodity, especially for somebody in your situation, you know, with a new child. But I, I do think at some point it, it is easier to switch to a different system. The other va- there, there are lots of advantages of switching systems as well, because some systems are built to emulate genres. And Barbarians of Lemuria will emulate that genre in ways that D&D or BX can never emulate it. You, you can add in a barbarian class that, that does this and that to D&D, but because of the way the rules are written and the concept, the basic ideas the games are built around, it'll never emulate the genre as well as a purpose-built game. Oh, a correctly built purpose-built game like Barbarians of Moria. There are lots of genre games that are not correctly built. Um, I, I think Barbarians is one that is, but there are a lot that aren't, so I, I should throw that caveat out there. A case can definitely be made for that. If I'm going to house rule into a certain field and the game I'm house ruling from is uh, trying to cater to that field already, then the net volume of house rules I will have to implement in order to get my perfect game is reduced. And there are free versions of that game out there on the internet, and it's actually a pretty short game to read the rules section. There, there are lists of traits and things like that, but I mean, you don't have to absorb all that. As far as, so that's my plug for Barbarians of Lemuria. Yes, there are free versions. There are inexpensive versions, like Legendary Edition, that's better than the Mythic Edition, in my opinion, which is the, the newer edition. But the the point is, there, no, what is my point? I don't know. I'll have to come back and think about it. That's handy. I really respect games that have free or cheap editions so that you know what you're getting into if you want to buy the expensive one. I may have to check that out. No promise on the timetable, but I'm definitely curious, uh, especially after having listened to uh, some of the recaps of you running the game and having uh, heard Arlen talk up the mechanical part of it on either Collins or on his podcast. Okay, I found my way again and remembered what I was going to say. I, I am not disparaging anybody that wants to do house rules. I am, but only the ones that suck. You have valid reasons to use them, but I think maybe a more fruitful place for you and I to discuss going forward would be the idea of adapting modules because one of the reasons you didn't want to use, you stated for not wanting to use Barbarians Lemuria is the difficulty of adapting an existing module. And that's not Barbarians Lemuria specific or D&D specific. That's just in general switching game systems. So that's another conversation we can have on how to do that. Now, personally, the way I do it is I don't worry about the mechanical stuff as much I, I won't try to convert specific numbers. I'll look at it and, and just, you know, at, well, you know what? There's another topic for another podcast. So I'm going to leave that go for now. But I think that's a fruitful discussion. But will they make another podcast on the topic? Find out next time.
on Clerics Wear Ringmail. Clerics Wear Ringmail podcast is an independently owned and operated product released for educational and informative purposes under the Totally Steal This license, which is kind of like Creative Commons, except f- licensing. Segments recorded within a vehicle are recorded using a Bluetooth hands-free device in conjunction with local vehicular safety legislation. Theme music for the Clerics Wear Ringmail podcast is Gold Coffee by Michael Ramirez C. Retrieved from Mixkit.co and used under the Mixkit royalty-free music license. Sound effects used in the Clerics Wear Ringmail podcast are also retrieved from Mixkit.co and used in accordance with the Mixkit-free sound effects license. Clerics Wear Ringmail does not describe to nor endorse views or opinions expressed by call-ins, guests, or even the host, unless you think they're awesome, and thus does not assume any liability regarding the consumption or distribution of this podcast. By listening to the Clerics Wear Ringmail podcast, you agree to these provided terms. Parties with questions regarding these terms, conditions, or releases are encouraged to reach out to Clerics Wear at the prescribed methods provided on the Clerics Wearing Mail blog. Parties dissatisfied with these terms, conditions, or releases are encouraged to go suck an egg.